Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to the um, political takeaway. I'm Siobhan Benita. I'm Oliver here, Philip Bishop. Hey Oliver, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. Getting more bored by the day, Siobhan. I know we're still in lockdown, right? How many? Yeah. I've lost track. When do we come out? I don't even know. <laughs> this is week one. <laughs> it's not. Is this week yeah. one? <laughs> week one is just gone. Is that right? Feels like we've yeah. been in week one, like one week. Did we start in the middle of a week? I honestly, I can't remember. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. As long as we're out by Christmas. Yeah, when I hold your breath. Then it'll be right. But it's been a good week, though, we have to say. It's been probably since we've been starting these podcasts, it's probably been the most positive, fun week in politics that I can remember. <laughs> fun, fun. <laughs> well, okay, let's start with the the election in America. So last time we did the pot a week ago, it was looking like a Trump win, but it wasn't um, confirmed yet. Mm. I guess you could say it's still not confirmed, right? I mean, I don't even know. It doesn't get confirmed, I think, till the Electoral College declares it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and Trump still hasn't really conceded. No. Probably never will, but you know, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? They are, they are going to have to drag him out of the White House, aren't they? Well, did you call it said he was squatting in the White House? Yeah, he's still there. <laughs> did you see it was really was like yesterday he did his first press conference. Physically, he's changed. His hair's gone grey. Has that... it? I haven't seen it. You know, his hair's always been like yellowy, isn't it? Last night he come out and he's totally grey. It's like... Probably went out just for men. Squatting <laughs> in the White House, can't go to the shops. Well, I was wondering, maybe his, maybe his hairdresser has decided that she prefers Biden or something. <laughs> yes, I refuse to dye this man's hair. What's going to um, happen with his tanning, tanning salon? But, I mean, I guess on another bit of positive news, you know, I always said a Biden win would change everything. Like the whole world is going to get better if Biden wins, right? And I think it's starting to happen already because look what's happening in number 10. I mean, you've had like two senior advisors quit mm. last week. That's got to be a bit of a knock-on effect, don't you think, of what's going on in America? I would be happy when the damage they've done also leaves down the street. And that yeah. probably doesn't happen until good old Bojo gets out of there too. Yeah. So actually, to be honest, even if Boris leaves, the damage is done. Because in, what, five days? Yeah. Brexit has to be finalised. 50,000 dead. I don't know. It is good news. It is good news because Cummings is a prick and it's his right hand man claims a prick. But damage is done, isn't it? You know? Yeah, the damage is done. And I think the thing that makes me angry is although they've left, especially seeing Dominic Cummings yesterday leaving, you know, while I'm pleased he's left because I think he's been a really toxic um, presence. But the fact that he can just leave and not be accountable, not be held accountable for any of the mess he's made, that makes me mad. But I think the positive note for me is just seeing them go shows they've lost control of power. Yeah. Power's kind of slipping away. Um, and that can only be a good thing. Um, and, it, and also the reason why I think it connects to Biden is I don't buy all this soap opera rubbish that's going on about Carrie and she's saying this and whatever. Boris Johnson will always do what's best for Boris Johnson. Yeah. And, and I think it's because he knows he's got to do a softer Brexit now because Biden's in the White House. And Cummings and Kane, this other guy who nobody'd ever heard about before anyway, 
right. wouldn't hang around to see that softer Brexit, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, we're going to find out in within a week anyway, exactly where that goes. But you're right, the Love Island politics is is gone for the time being. But this is the thing, I, I, Cummings and Kate, what they embarked upon wasn't just what we saw externally, it was the internal trying to change our, how Whitehall works, how civil service works, how BBC works, you know, those kind of, that kind of damage is yet to be seen in terms of how that works out. All these public appointments that they've thrown around, those people are still going to be there, you know. So let's see, let's see. But hopefully, like you say, this is the liberal progressive wave that's just going to sweep across the whole world and everyone's just going to become nice and lovely and well kind of state, change everyone's opinions and about how to be kind. cynicism in there, Ollie. <laughs> I live in a world of cynicism, Siobhan. Actually, yesterday, World Kindness Day, I did a really good event. I was part of this Kind Fest event. And um, I was part of a panel, which was really interesting because it was about, can we have a kinder politics? And what was so nice is we had Baroness Barcy and then we had Jane Hutt, who's a um, Labour uh, politician in the Welsh Parliament. Um, is it Welsh Parliament? Welsh Assembly? Probably got that wrong somewhere, but anyway. <laughs> up after. Um, but we had a really nice, like, completely non-partisan conversation about all the things that need to happen. And they had um, the CEO of the Joe Cox Foundation was there mm. as well. Um, and it was just a really nice discussion where everybody agreed on things that need to get better. And that included, you know, getting better people into politics, more diverse voices in politics, holding MPs to account for those public standards in public life that they're supposed to bloody adhere to, you know, calling out their lies, which would be quite nice. So mm. that gave me a bit of hope as well. But what was nice is this kind fest, this whole, I think there were like 6,000 people that registered for this event yesterday. So it does show that I think people are really, despite your cynicism, people are interested in a bit of love and kindness and compassion, which is oh, music to my ears. Don't get me wrong, Siobhan. I think people are absolutely all about kindness, love, compassion. I don't think the Conservative Party is. <laughs> <laughs> Have they ever been? Who knows, right? And I think that's probably the problem, isn't it? People are great. Positive news this week is we've got the vaccine, the um, announcement of the vaccine. So we've talked about COVID a few times on this podcast. It's all been quite, you know, doom and gloom. Surely this is a bit of good news for us, right? Great news. Even better story that it is two Muslim heroes that have actually saved the entire globe, potentially. Absolutely. Uh, so this is a nice story. I think it's great. However... <laughs> um, I don't know what's happened to me I just feel like I've started playing devil's advocate to everything but have you got your Christmas tree up yet you need a bit of festive cheer <laughs> I'm a, no there's not a single piece of Christmas here in this house Siobhan, I won't lie to you but it will come I love Christmas but no however so I mean five seconds on Twitter and Instagram will tell you that most people are of the belief that this vaccine is there to control them and kill them and to put microchips into their brains or whatever it might be so there's that problem. Um, already, they did a poll in London, and I think about a third or a quarter of people don't plan on taking the vaccine, you know, which doesn't really matter because it's not really for them initially. It's going to be for yeah. you know, the elderly or the vulnerable. Um, but then, I mean, I, I was on, I was on Instagram, part of my internet addiction. But I was on Instagram and I was scrolling through, 
on some of the main platforms that were there, they started spilling stories about like Ticketmaster, for example, saying that in order to go to concerts in the future, you're going to have to have the vaccine. Right. And they're going to check if you had the vaccine. I but that's not that, a real story. It's not a real story, though, because really? the quote actually said they're reviewing options and it might be whether you've had the vaccine or you've tested negatively or something else. So they're reviewing options. But the stories are saying you've had to have this vaccine. You know, right. this is a, a part of the control that the government is planning. And this is, I think, the bigger problem is there's a great story here in terms of we're about to save millions of lives. Yeah. Other story is people are so distrustful because of all of this incompetence that adoption of this vaccine, which is what's needed in order for people to, to actually yeah. to take hold, might not happen in the way you want it to. So I think there's, there's there, a big risk. Uh, is there two things going on here? Because is there kind of um, people like you and me, I think with, we're pro-vaccine, right? But mm. I will admit there's a nervousness because it's happened so fast. And even you know the people that have developed it have said they've had to do things quicker than they would have liked to because it's so urgent that we need this vaccine, right? And I think that's a really valid um, kind of concern to have, that you want to take it, but you're nervous, not because you distrust anybody involved or anything, but just because maybe some corners have been cut in trying to get to this. And I think um, in trying to get to this solution, and I think the government have to do everything they can to um, explain why people shouldn't be so worried, you know, that they've gone through all of the stages, even if they've done them quickly. There's a kind of public um, awareness campaign and information campaign that can help. So that's one lot of people. And I would say a lot of people are probably going to fall into that category. And that's quite yeah. normal and human and understandable. But then you're absolutely right. There's this other group, which unfortunately is quite significant, probably not more than 20% or so from what I've seen, but significant nevertheless, if you want to vaccinate an entire population, who were just born in, bought, bought into all these conspiracy theories that this is all some kind of controlling thing from, I don't know, it's Bill Gates and <laughs> children's blood and all of this stuff. It's bizarre, <laughs> these kind of conspiracy theories. And then it contains tiny microscopic, like microchips that they can then control your movements and stuff. That is a much harder problem because that, that, like you say, goes to the heart of people that have just fallen down these complete rabbit holes of conspiracy. And that takes a lot of time to unpick. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But again, like, you know, if any conspiracy theory, the biggest problem is there's always like a little nugget of truth or historical relevance in there that makes it true enough. So there have been vaccines in the past that, you know, have had negative yeah. later, longer turn down the line implications for someone's health. That's happened before. So yeah. it's not entirely unreasonable to be nervous about, like you say, to be nervous about what a rushed vaccine might bring, given that we clearly can't trust the government. Mm -hmm. They have clear issues with transparency and open data. Um, and so, yeah, I, I get it. But yeah, the rabbit holes in which they're going down are so... Yeah so far from removed yeah. from reality that is quite crazy i mean it's just talking about the black community themselves there's a lot of this stuff you know i know the black community are particularly mistrustful of vaccinations but that comes from a history of a very now well understood history of organizations institutions using black communities to test drugs and vaccines mm -hmm. you know in america they did it 
during the years of slavery and after slavery, they tested drugs on black communities. They do. They, there was Asia's times in which they used to do the same thing in Africa, for example, send right. viruses out into impoverished world, not viruses, vaccines into impoverished world. Um, and those implications what happened in Haiti, for example, where they went to try and save lives, ended up bringing new viruses over there and killing lots of people. Yeah. So I understand where those issues come from in terms of yeah. trepidations and fears about what this could bring. But I think this is not that case and this is nothing to do with that. And this is actually to be honest, trying to save the world essentially. Yeah, so absolutely. we need to find a way to to mitigate trust. Maybe now they're coming now 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 that Cummings and, and Kane, you know, the the do the comms duo have gone. Maybe yeah. they can communicate a little bit better and stop blaming job crisisness yeah. on Fatima, etc. Maybe we'll will save the world in that way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the one thing, I guess. I mean, it's funny, people going, oh, my God, I can't believe they've gone, those two. When you think about it, the government communications have been so bad, so bad. <laughs> why, you know, why have they still got their jobs? I mean, it's not really a surprise that they've left, really, because they haven't exactly performed. I mean, you know, the one thing I think this will be, let's hope, is the end to bloody the idea of somebody being a genius, like one individual, you know, everyone said that, before it was Steve Hilton, I remember when I was a civil servant, everyone said, oh my God, Steve Hilton, he's a genius. Like he's just, he's <laughs> no socks and shoes around. They've always got some quirky thing, you know, <laughs> no socks and shoes. And then Cummings comes in and he's tracksuit bottoms. Oh my God, he's a genius. It's like, it's all just rubbish. Mm. Just rubbish. They're, they're just people, you know, who've got into these positions. And I never want to hear that that kind of assertion again, oh my God, there's this genius advisor in number 10, because it's just, it's pants. <laughs> it's just not true. My favourite moment was when we found out that this this genius Cummings was using Microsoft Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> and that they were too small. <laughs> this man, he's the smartest man in the world, but he no. can't even work out a bloody spreadsheet. Yeah. Actually, I, the, the ex-civil servant in me just... It's like I've got this whoop internal cheer going on for how all the civil servants in Whitehall must be feeling now. <laughs> they're popping bottles right now. Oh still my God, they must be. I know yeah. they're all impartial and everything, but you can still... <laughs> no one's impartial. ...opinion of an individual, that's for sure. Not <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we'll see. Actually, I'm going into Whitehall to, on Monday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, not breaking any COVID rules or anything because it's a work thing that can't be done anywhere else. But um, I'm doing a big innovation, chairing like an innovation conference and the studio where we, we're streaming it from is in Whitehall. So that'll be funny. That'll be interesting for me going back in after a long time. I don't know if they'll let me in. <laughs> <laughs> it's all reminiscent, do you think? I've got to put my impartial hat on, uh, which, yeah, <laughs> I'm warm <laughs> Do you think you could? Do you think you could chair a whole event without making a dig? We yeah. can't get through half an hour of a no, podcast. No, I can. I absolutely can because this event is about good practice in kind of civil servants around the world, different governments and how they do things and sharing good practice. So it's it's not political actually at all. It's it's about um, how different, how we can learn from different administrations around the world on how they're tackling the challenges that everybody's facing really. So yeah, mm -hmm. I will. I will be good. I'll be on best behaviour. I've got some news for you, in fact. I'm actually, I'm doing a talk. Um, I know you're, you're into the yoga right now. I'm doing yeah. a talk at Lululemon um, at the end of the month. Wow. About, and we're talking about masculinity, um, identity. Fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. But what they told me, so we were doing like a little 
like a brief talk over yeah. the week and they told me that because they're all kind of like working from home etc they've given themselves the ta- like weekly tasks and homework and one of their pieces of homework is to listen to our podcast no. every week and every I was like day. yeah I thought that was quite cruel for them to force them to, to, to <laughs> listen to my drone in all week and then they're gonna have to listen to me again when I come in but yeah that's happening now so you know no, you're, no. you're famous to Lulu Lemon. Yeah. Shout out to Lulu Lemon. big yoga fan here definitely yeah. <laughs> just as yeah, you, you know I've just come off the mat I just did a good I always do a Saturday morning flow with my yoga teacher and it's yeah cool and that's really interesting so you're talking about kind of masculinity and what relating to sport or just in general or um no so I think just in in the whole in the various understandings in which we take it so I think there's a we talk about I will talk specifically about black masculinity yeah. um what is regarded as a crisis of of masculinity yeah which I wouldn't regard to be as such and kind of how these ideas of what is to be a black man are yeah. translated into politics, policy, criminal justice, really all these different kinds of areas. Um, yeah, yeah, and just talk about growing up, you know, how it was for me to grow up and yeah. learning about who you, I was as a, as a young man. And, you know, because yeah. when you're young and the kind of environment I grew up in, these are where you have to, you're just trying to understand exactly who you are as a person. And I think yeah. those different interactions of, of identity and masculinity how they manifest. So yeah, but it's talking about that. It's gonna be interesting, I think. I hope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about you and yoga? Do you do yoga? <laughs> um, I've tried a couple of times. I've struggled a couple of times. Yeah. I don't really have the yoga bone, you know. I've, if it doesn't have a weight, everybody's got yoga like... bones. Everybody, you know. I mean, um, when I used to go to the gym to do yoga, we had a couple of the um, kind of the bodybuilders and the powerlifters would come and do. Yeah, and then mm. it was really good because you, you need that stretch, don't you, after you've been doing all the kind of lifting and stuff. Yeah, I know I need to. I yeah. definitely know I need to. And as I, I, get took older, husband, I took my husband to um, a kind of hot yoga once. And oh, yeah. You know, he's triathlete, right? Yeah. It was the hardest thing he's done. He was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a long session. It was one of these really long, intense sessions. And he was like, he was dead at the end of it. But it's just you ever go back? To, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you ever go again? Was that it? Um, no, he's done it a couple of times with me at home, um, but he's 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 getting much better at doing his stretching. He's getting old, you know. We're getting we're all getting old. We need to do the stretching, put it in in between. <laughs> Tell me, I know. Wake up with agony. You wake up and do yoga yeah. on Saturday. Yeah? Wake up and cry from pain in my bones. <laughs> right. Hold on. On a less slight. So we talked about a lot of positive stuff there, and that sounds really good. What you're doing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that talk. Hmm. <laughs> On a less positive note, somebody that you and me know, in fact, you introduced me to this guy, David Goodhart, mm. in the news this week. Oh, my God. What is this all about? So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, firstly. What, what yeah. is the exact position he's been given? He's been given, an, he's been given an appointment, right? I'm not sure of the title, but essentially I think he's heading up the EHRC, the Equality of the Human Rights Commission, um, which is fascinating because... It's just, we'll get into David Goodhart in a moment, but I think yeah. well, it's just, uh, it's so after the summer, huge protests, huge cry out for change in terms of British relationships, in terms of race and racism, opening up that conversation. Everything was, okay, now we get it. Now let's do something about it. So what does Boris Johnson do? He says, okay, I'm going to 
create a co-commission to a co-party commission to start looking into the issues despite the you know 10 15 20 reports that already exist with every single yeah. issue already laid out telling exactly what you need to do so you have to do it they were collecting dust over there he creates his commission first thing he does is he appoints Miriam Mirza, his former deputy mayor who is skeptical about anything to do with anti-racism and systemic racism so that's already an issue the next thing he does he starts to hey let's let's look into education appoints Kemi Badenoch who believes that critical race theory is destroying our schools and it's a political ideas in schools doesn't matter if Michael Gove was trying to get Niall Ferguson to rewrite national curriculum in terms of pro-empire that's mm-hmm. fine but don't talk about critical race theory whatever that is mm-hmm. um and then now yeah and now he's now he's appointed David Goodhart, who, yeah, we met and we'll talk about that in a second, but he is quite pro-hostile um, environments, mm-hmm. very vocally anti-immigration. His books talk about, you know, the troubles with multiculturalism. Not the kind of person who you would expect to be vocal and active on human rights right. in right. understanding of what people are protesting during the summer. So yeah. what, to me, this looks like, and I think most people are looking at it and thinking the same is, Every public appointment by the prime minister and by this government charged with tackling racism and structural systemic racism, which the data has unequivocally evidenced, um, every single one of these public appointments is, doesn't give a shit about racism. They don't even believe it exists. The, and these are deliberate signals by government to say, okay, you can have your summer, but we're not playing ball with this whole equalities, equity agenda. We're not doing it. And I think that's it. They have to do this now because they have to start showing signals to their base, this vote leave, yeah, anti-intellectual base that they're not going to start pandering to the ideas of, yeah, anti-racism, which is what they voted for, you know, ideally. So it's it's troubling, and it is. I expect nothing less. I expect nothing less. But at the same time, it's still it's a very strange signal to send to the world at a time like this. Like you say, it's almost it's kind of even worse than that in that they are showing that they're doing something by setting up some new commissions like you say appointing new people so that they can point to that and say look we're taking action but the very people that they're appointing to lead those things show the complete opposite yeah so they're kind of playing both sides and it's just yeah very but I mean David Goodhart I remember so I met David Goodhart because of you. Like you, do you remember? It was, it was you. I was trying, Siobhan. You were trying. Because he was at Demos, right? Which you would think was a quite progressive kind of think tank. This guy was quite well known at the time. And you invited the three of us to have a coffee, right? <laughs> oh my God, do you remember that? God, you, that was just the, the worst ever meeting, wasn't it? <laughs> It was bizarre, I'd say that much. Seriously, I do do you remember that one moment where I think you and me just looked at each other and it was like, what what is this? Like he literally he was trying to explain because I was just about cottoning on that he wasn't who I thought he was gonna be, that actually his view on race was a very even at that stage, anti-immigrant view of the world. And he he was trying to explain to me why he felt that way and still try and assert that he was a progressive and he said to me, well, don't you hate it living in London now where you can be walking down the street and two people in front of you will meet each other on the street and give each other a fist bump 
something that you don't understand. Don't you feel like a stranger in your own city? And I was literally open mouthed with like, has he literally just said that? Like mm. this guy working for Demos, he was heading up Demos. Has he actually, those words actually come out of his mouth? And I'll never forget that moment. because, And I remember looking at you over the table thinking, what is going on here? Like, I was embarrassed. I was like, shit, I just want this guy to meet you. I was worried about him. I, I knew this guy wasn't really the guy, but he was heading up demos. I thought, fuck, he's got to be like a little bit, yeah. you know, on board with what we're talking about here. He didn't give a shit. Unbelievable. So, I think yeah. I he stayed in demos that long after that. I think he... Because he, he became obsessed with immigration, didn't he? That was his thing then. He wrote several mm. books about it. and He's talking about the British dream and how, you know, essentially assimilation is necessary for if we're going to become you know a cohesive identity but of course assimilation to him is assimilating to a white british yeah. culture yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. exactly yeah. that's what he became that's that's quite a good i mean you mentioned there the commission that boris johnson did and um, you know set up mm. it closer to to our home to london for a bit sadiq khan has announced um this week um the action plan as they're calling it i think to tackle to try and rebuild i think the idea is to try and rebuild as they're saying trust between the met police and i think in particular black communities so it's only come out yesterday i haven't read it in full detail or anything but as i understand it there's a whole load of stuff in this action plan supposedly around involving communities more in monitoring the police's actions around how the police stop people in vehicles how the police do stop and search on the streets um, and how they engage in communities on the ground. I don't know, Ollie, call me a cynic. Like, where where has he been? He's been in bloody City Hall, Sadiq, for five years now. He's had a free year given to him because of the pandemic, right? It's exactly what you were saying, I think, about there's enough evidence out there. Why is Boris taking so long to... There's enough evidence in London of stop and search being discriminatory, right? There's enough evidence of how the police, the Met Police, when they engage with people on the street, how they engage differently with different communities, how they treat black people differently. We've got report after report after report on that. So call me a cynic, but this is too little too late. And I would say this is only coming out now because he knows after what happened in summer and all of the protests, he's got to be seen to do something before the election next May. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's start with the positives. Positives. So, and I'm I'm learning from you every day. I'm learning. So, in terms of the positives, that I don't think Sadiq Khan is, you know, against it. He's not Boris Johnson. Yeah. You know, he's not fighting this yeah. agenda. He's definitely in favour of it. Just seems he's not passionately driven to do enough on it. And if you if, like, if we go. So we look at this action plan at the moment. They got a whole load of different communities, different community leaders and organizations involved in it. They got Simon Woolley, who we've both met many times from Operation Black Vote. Clearly one of the most uh, proficient voices in this kind of space. So great that he was involved. They got a guy I know, Sace Lewis Holmes, um, CEO of Mentivity to involve. He's been very vocal on Stop and Search. Great person to have involved. So they're speaking to the right people and they've done something, which is yeah. good. And even before, and we'll talk about this in a moment, you know, the gang matrix, et cetera, they, it was 
the mayor that did the review that managed to essentially get rid of that gag matrix as, as an idea of a way to solve crime. But for me, I think the challenge has been, yeah, a lack of leadership when it mattered the most, a lack of drive and passion, and still, even with this action plan, it just doesn't go that far. Like, it just doesn't go that far. Okay, we need to review how we stop and search. We need to get communities involved in the conversations. Cool, we said that last year, we said that five years ago, we said that 10 years ago, we said that 20 years ago. Exactly. Fine, great. And moreover, it looks like Sadiq has just, he's played too, he played ball with the Met too much. Like, he's allowed the Met to drive this agenda in the way in which they see fit and the way, way in which they are comfortable doing so. Yeah. And the reason why I believe that's the case is because this report doesn't mention one of the most dangerous impacts on the black community and how this stop and search thing has got so out of control, which is the gang matrix. Mm. So the gang matrix was a direct response to what happened in 2011, where the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson, who was mayor at the time, understood what happened in the riots as an issue of gang crime. Yeah. Gang crime and London riots have no relationship with one another, yeah. right? And in any way you analyse the London riots, it's something to, it's about the frustrations of a community that felt for too long they've had to bear the brunt of police aggression, of unequal criminal justice, of all the issues that we know of evidence. And David Lammy laid them all out in 35 recommendations, all collecting dust. So the Conservative Party were tying gang crime to the riots and protests. Then the Met took that and created what we now know as the gang matrix, yeah. which is you know predictive profiling, using big data to understand issues within the community. In the end, that, that database was, it breached data protection. It had kids as young as 12, 80 to 90% black. It was, you didn't know you were on it. It was almost impossible to get off it. It broke most of these kids' human rights. Yeah. They, that the, the the Met were then taking the data. So the Information Commissioner's Office found that they took the data of these kids, even when they were no longer on the matrix, and they started sharing it with local councils, housing associations, education authorities, completely against the law. Mm. And they would then, even when the kids were off the gang, this gang matrix, they would still continue to put it on an informal database on the side and say, we still got money these kids, because you never know, they still could be bad kids. These kids could be as young as 12, couldn't get a library card if they were in the Matrix, didn't even know they were in the Matrix. Then they would, um, they would try and, if the kid was sharing uh, YouTube videos of grime or drill music, that was enough for the Met to associate them with gang affiliations. Yeah. So if I took a music and off Stormzy and I shared it with my mate, I'm now a gang member. Yeah. This is how they understood crime. Yeah. And so when 90% of that Matrix was black, but in cities like London, the crime rate among, well, the, the, the level of serious youth violence is about 20 to 30% mm. of black boys, which makes up less than 1% of the whole black community, of young black community in London. It's flagrantly racist. It's insane yeah. that yeah. that's even allowed to continue. But this database was largely secret until Amnesty and Liberty yeah, yeah, and yeah. the started to fight it. And I think so, Sadiq said he would do something about that in his manifesto. And he did. And in, in his defence, he did. So they had the review and they started to move it. I'm telling a long story because I think it comes to a very important point. So they started to do the review. Okay, this is completely against everything. This is big data gone completely wrong. Gang Matrix goes away. But whilst it goes away, it only comes back in a new name. Now they called it the Concern Hub. And the Concern Hub mm. is 
not being spoken about, it's not being discussed, it's just secret database. Essentially a rebranding of the gang matrix made to sound a bit more nice and flowery. Concerned, we're concerned about you if you become a gangster, <laughs> not just you're a gangster already before you even knew it. And so now the victims of crime are treated the same as the perpetrators of crime, and they're always going to be black, even though we know the data does not support the, what they're saying. This is a politicization of criminality to turn black people into criminals, and we've seen it a million times over. So if this action plan is not addressing that, it's not, it's not going far enough for me. It's just, we know stop and search is a problem. What about this, this illegal database we have of children that breaches their human rights? Even when the Committee of Human Rights, headed by Harriet Harman, has identified the systemic breaches of people's human rights, black people's human rights, it's nonsense. So we know that's a problem. Then there's things like auto-face recognition, which yeah. can't get women's their faces right, can't get black people's yeah. faces right. That's still rolling out. That's still another breach of black people's human rights. So tell me how can this action plan, which only addresses stop and search and some communities having a nice conversation, how can that be enough? Yeah. It's not. And again, it, like I said, it just goes back into the narrative that's been built out since 2011, that somehow it's a gang problem. But we know that most of the knife crime that exists, 80% of it, in fact, has nothing to do with gang crime. Yeah. This whole proliferation of the argument around gang crime has never been supported in data or evidence. It doesn't exist. And now we've got Priti Patel running around the country talking about how she wants every criminal to feel fear. She's going to take them all down. Sadiq Khan is just playing into this role if he's not fighting against it. And that's why, as mayor, she's a bit lackluster. She's a bit shit, really. Yeah, yeah. See, so that's that's kind of my frustration. And that's, it's kind of, it's my frustration with Sadiq. It's my frustration with the Labour Party. So I agree with you. Is that I think they're on board with the with with the kind of, direction of travel I think they agree with the things you and me would agree with in that it needs to be better we need to you know tackle racism and everything but there's no urgency about it and there's no um it's not even bravery anymore it's just like don't bring in another action plan if you haven't already done the things that we already know need to be done so the first thing Sadiq should have said is I'm going to ban facial recognition technology from London. It's a discriminatory practice. You know, the evidence is there. I'm going to stop Section 60 stop and search. No more Section 60 stop and search. You know, look, I didn't know that about the Concern Hub, the rebranding, but he should have said something mm -hmm. about that. He already said that the gangs matrix, if it's just a rebranding, then he, and then move on. to so that's the basics. Do you know what I mean? That's the bare minimum. That action needs to already be taken. And then we look at what more needs to be done, because even that's not enough. Yeah. And I just get frustrated by politicians, and especially politicians who I think are on our side, that they're not doing enough, and that it's a kind of, um, it's a lazy way of doing politics where you just announce yet another initiative after another initiative. And funny, when I was running in the campaign, you know, I would look up on City Hall if I had an idea about something, I'd look up on City Hall and I'd like, oh, they've already got a report on this or, oh, they've already got a group looking at this. But you never see what comes out of those things. Nothing mm -hmm. seems to happen. So politicians are very good at, and I think Sadiq's really good at this, of setting something up to tick boxes to say, yeah, we care about this. We're working on it. But I want to see the real change on the ground. I want to see it make a difference. Exactly. And it's just hugely frustrating. It's frustrating because... I mean, so this predictive policing, that's what all of this is. It's using big data to understand issues. And it's rolling, across, it's rolling out across much of the country now, but London's really taking this thing and yeah. you know, they're going all full force. But if the, if the Met 
and I, 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 policing is vital. Policing is very important. Black people need policing as much as white people do. We all need somewhere and ways in which we can feel safe in a society. Yeah. Of course, that's the very basics. Yeah. It's about you know, but if this rollout can't be done without breaching black people's human rights, it can't be done. Period. Yeah. And if you can't get stop and search right, which is just having a conversation with someone, yeah. you know, just using data to understand if someone might be doing a crime or not, then how can we trust you to use data yeah. in a larger sense? The government's not great at using data. Now we're supposed to trust you with our data when you yeah. clearly breached the data of black children. And yeah. now we're supposed to be, oh, okay, you know what, like, this is cool because you've got some communities having a conversation about it. So we all feel safe. Of course we don't. There's no accountability for this data. These yeah. Concern Hub and the game, game matrix are essentially secret database. They don't share the information of which. Yeah. Flagrant abuses. One in, in the report, they talk about um, the smell of cannabis, which makes yeah. me laugh because yeah. it doesn't matter with being a kid, like, honestly, bloody hell. From every time they smoke cannabis on me, half the time, maybe. <laughs> but most times there was no cannabis on me or the description I fit between seven, eight, and four, one, you know, black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is nonsense, right? But if you keep, everyone smokes weed. Everybody smokes weed. I bet they and don't they go to the LSE dormitories and check. Them. This is the point. This is the point. So like everyone smokes weed and the data is always shown in America and here that the amount of people, amount of black people that smoke weed, the amount of white people smoke weed is relatively the same. So yeah. why are black people getting stopped for smelling okay. cannabis and white people aren't? Yeah. More serious drugs, white people take more class A drugs than black yeah. people do. And those are higher levels of criminal the higher yeah. sentencing for those drugs. So why now are we caring about cannabis but not about yeah. cocaine and MDMA? Well, that's how much I know about drugs, MDMA. But yeah. the bigger point is the, the mayor should just be working on decriminalizing totally cannabis. That's, well, that's a good easy. point. That's a good point actually. That we could let's do an entire podcast on drugs reform. Hell yeah! Because I've been banging on about this, as you know, for quite no, I know. You've got a bit of an interest in this. A little bit, yeah, invested interest. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do a podcast on drugs reform and why yeah. it's important. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there that are, I know there are lots of people that are supportive of that. You know, we know there are. So let's... I can't... I was, go on then. No, I mean, I, was just saying, I, I can't walk down the street for 10 minutes without smelling four households. Yeah. That's not even Camden. You're in Leafy Wandsworth, right? I'm in Leafy Wandsworth, I'm in Clapham Junction, bloody hell. Like, honestly. Well, I'm in Kingston, and, like, literally walking from the station to my house, there are at least three or four points where I can guarantee I will be smelling cannabis when I walk. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. This makes me think about what are the, what's the purpose of government? What's the purpose of City yeah. Hall? Like, if it's just to police poverty, then we're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Because we've got drug searches drug searches and police with dogs outside Brixton but we've got absolutely nothing happening outside Clapham so clearly yeah. we're doing well in policing all yeah. communities doing absolutely nothing on tackling drug abuse or tackling yeah. actual gang crime actual yeah. organized crime got nothing no matter how many you would have been, you would have been proud of me Ollie yesterday because in my kindness panel that I was talking about I said if we had a kinder type of politics we would have a different approach to things like drugs reform. We'd have a different approach to things like violence affecting young people because we would place empathy at the heart of it. And we'd right. look at underlying causes. And you start with something that, that 
you know, you start with empathy, you have a very different approach and you get better outcomes. You get outcomes working and you use your resources more effectively. Always proud of you, Siobhan. Oh, well, there's a nice <laughs> note to finish <laughs> on a positive. So what are you doing the rest um, of the weekend? Um, I'll probably go from this side of the room to the <laughs> other side of the room. And I'll come back over to this side of the room again and see if it feels a little bit different. But that's probably about it. You know me. what you could do? Mm. You could do a down dog or two in the middle of the room. What's a down dog? Oh, that's a that's yoga move. Oh, my God. You need to meet up before you do your Lululemon talk. <laughs> yeah, they're going to shame you. Some of your basic moves, right? <laughs> your positions. <laughs> yeah, all right. I've got, I've got no, I was doing... I was doing um, stargazer i was doing eagle doing all sorts of stuff this morning you know what these sound like they sound what? like marijuana strains <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to take these names and start making some new flavors that sounds there good could be, there could be some crossover there i think <laughs> <laughs> anyway listen thank you to everyone who is listening um you could just, actually i was just thinking people could start telling us what they wanted us to talk about Definitely. We've got to get some guests on here as well, so we can have... We've got to get some guests on here, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Throughout a lockdown, we'll... Um, maybe we could do a Christmas special with some Christmas guests. We'll get that Leroy Logan on when we can um, pull him away from all his media rounds that he's doing. Superstar Leroy. Yeah, we do. We do. Leroy, come on our show, mate. Yeah, definitely. All right. Okay, Oliver. Have a lovely afternoon and the rest of the weekend. And I'll speak to you again next week. And you. See you later, everyone. <laughs>